In eight days, a team will receive a well-earned trophy. It's hard to say when it all started. Officially, you could point to March 13th as the beginning of the March Madness tournament. But even before the tournament began, you had to make it into the tournament. The teams that won their conference automatically made it in. And then there was a committee, a selection committee, that got to decide who else was valid to come into this tournament, or who else made the cut. So I guess you could say that it starts when the season starts, this road to glory for basketball fame, I guess, if you want to call it that. But I guarantee you that on the first day of practice when this season began, it wasn't the first time that these players had first touched a basketball. The road to glory started a long time ago for many of those players when they first started picking up a basketball and practicing in their driveways, in their basements, in their gyms at home. The road to glory for college basketball is a long road, well-traveled, and only one team gets to hold the title per year. And there's a ton of work and sacrifice that goes into getting that glory, to reaching that goal. This morning, we're going to look at a different road to glory, another road that took a lifetime of work and sacrifice. I invite you to open up your Bibles with me as we look at this road from John chapter 12, verses 20 through 33. Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, the voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of the world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which he was to die. Father God, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray that you would sanctify us in your truth here this morning. Open up our hearts to receive the message that you have for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus here is on the road to glory. Palm Sunday is all about this road to glory, and it was a glorious day when Jesus entered into Jerusalem. The section of Scripture comes after his triumphal entry where he's treated as royalty, where people are preparing the way for him, laying down palm branches and jackets and coats so that Jesus can come in and not have to worry about his feet getting dusty as he's riding in on the foal of a donkey. People were coming out of the woodwork to see this king. What did he look like? What was he going to do? And the people called out to Jesus, Save us! Hosanna, save us! O king of Israel! The crowds are crying out to Jesus and asking him to save them. And it sure seems that on this road to glory, Jesus has reached his destination. 
He has the adoration of the crowds, the love of the people, and celebrity status. What more could he possibly want? Our passage starts out today with a group of people wanting to see Jesus. In verse 20, how is this group of people described? How is this group of people defined? Verse 20 calls them Greeks. Jesus wasn't a Greek. Jesus was a Hebrew. Jesus was a Jew. And yet here we see in the scripture that even people not tied to Jesus and his people wanted to come and see this king of Israel. The Greeks were coming to see this king of Israel. He wasn't even announced as their king, yet they still wanted to come and see him. The word about Jesus has gotten around, and here we find a group of Greeks coming to see Jesus. And so he answers them, and he says this, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Up until this point, Jesus has kind of been hush-hush about all the things that he has done. When his mother first asked him to provide wine at the wedding feast, he says, Woman, my hour has not yet come. It's not time for this yet. And when he healed various people, he said, Don't tell anybody about this, because his hour had not come. But now, for the first time in Scripture, we see these words, My hour has come. The hour has come for Jesus to be glorified. He was on the road to glory, but he wasn't at his destination yet. Jesus knew what still lay before him on this road, and he alludes to it in verse 24 of the text. Verse 24, Jesus says these words, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Last year was the first year that Hannah and I were able to plant a garden, and we were all excited for this. And being a little farther south than Minnesota or Michigan, we decided we're going to plant sweet corn. After all, it's Nebraska. You plant corn here. And so we planted sweet corn, but we had no idea what we were doing. We planted it before the leaves came in on the trees, and it was a sunny area then when the leaves came in, and it was all full of shade. We planted it in rows of two. And if you farmers know, you gotta, I was told at least, you've got to plant it in at least rows of three so that it can cross-pollinate. This is what we had to show for our hard work. <laughs> That's not all of it. We tried cooking one and expecting delicious, sweet corn fresh from the garden. All we got was a starchy, nasty, vile substance. I don't know what it was. We didn't know what we were doing. But all summer long, we were waiting for it. And now this is what we have to show for it. And I thought to myself, well, that's a waste. At least it can go in the compost. But a farming friend of mine told me that we can save this seed and we can plant it this year. And so this year we'll do it again. And if anyone else needs some more sweet corn seeds, we have a lot of it up here. But in order for us to get sweet corn, delicious sweet corn that can provide for our family out of this, something has to happen first. This isn't going to cut it. This would maybe feed us for, well, we're not going to eat it. But if we did eat it, it would maybe feed us for a quarter of a meal, maybe an appetizer. But when we plant all of these, it feeds us for months. Because when it dies, it will bring forth more fruit. You farmers understand this concept way more than I do. You farmers pay a pretty penny for a bag of seed. Not so that you can invest your money in something other than banks, but because you know that eventually planting one seed will hopefully lead to a lot more seeds. And that's what you build your lifestyle on. Your livelihood is based on that principle. 
that through death comes more fruit. And Jesus is reminding his disciples, reminding these Greeks that this is a principle that he has created the world to operate by. And this is a principle that shows what Jesus was going to do for his people. This is a point that Jesus is making here. The hour has come. But before this glory comes in all of its fullness and in all of its glory, something needed to happen first. Christ needed to die. And then the glory will come. And then he will bear much fruit. The road to glory for Jesus would lead to the cross. The road, of, the road to glory leads to the cross. Jesus, who is both true man and true God, knows what lies ahead of him at this time. He knows the pain. He knows the suffering. He knows that death is just a few days down the road from him. He allows us to see his inner torment in verse 27. As the text says this, Now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Jesus knows that he doesn't have to go through with this. He doesn't need to. He could do whatever he wanted to do. He doesn't have to go through this for himself. After all, he's God. He's also true man. And as true man, he wrestles with this plan that his father has laid out for him. He knows what lies ahead. And up to this point, everything was manageable for Jesus. Doing a few miracles here, a few miracles there, training a couple of disciples along the way, that's not too hard. That doesn't require too much sacrifice. And Jesus did that. And through that, he glorified his Father. But as the culmination of his life and his earthly ministry is coming closer and closer, he knows what lies before him just a few days down the road. And yet he has still set his sights toward Jerusalem. And yet today we remember when he first entered into Jerusalem, the final week of his life here on this earth. It's not Friday yet, and there's still time for Jesus to run away like Jonah did. But Jesus knows his purpose, and Jesus knows why he came. That he came to this earth as a man, as the Son of God, to die, to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was born to die. And he lived on this earth in order that he could die. Lenski unpacks this tension for us a bit. He describes the turmoil that Jesus is going through with these words. He says, His death was not to be a death like that of the Christian, for whom the terrors of death have been removed by the cancellation of sin and guilt, nor like the unbeliever who is blind and realizes only in part what awaits him. Jesus was to die with all the world's sin and guilt Upon him. The curse and damnation of that guilt was to strike him and crush out his life. As you and I, as believers, as we look forward to this time when God calls us home, we look forward to anticipation, knowing that we're not going to face wrath, we're not going to face judgment, but someone has taken that for us already. And so we eagerly anticipate when God calls us home. And for those who don't believe in God, for those who don't believe in Jesus Christ, who don't believe in an afterlife at all, they're oblivious to what lies before them. And so they don't know what to expect. But Jesus knows fully what's going to happen. Jesus doesn't get to approach death knowing that his sins are paid for. Instead, Jesus approaches death with the sins of each one of us on his shoulders. 
As Jesus approaches this, he knows that what lies before him is the wrath of a holy and righteous God against sin. And that is what Jesus is about to go through and experience. But again, he didn't have to. He doesn't have to do this. He's God. He has no sin in and of himself. He's completely innocent. But the fact of the matter is, you aren't, and I'm not either. And so he took upon himself our sins. And the wrath that he experienced, that he went through, was the wrath reserved for you and reserved for me. The wrath that we deserve through our sins, for our gossip, for our hypocrisy, for our lies, our pride, our deceit, our hate, our slander, our selfishness, for our idolatry, for all the things that would condemn us as we stand before a holy and righteous God, for all of our imperfections. Jesus took each one of those things upon himself. But why would he do it? He doesn't need to do it, but we need him to do it. And it's our only hope. And for that reason, Jesus continues to go forth with it. Dying for someone doesn't really bring you a whole lot of glory. Not glory that you can live in and experience for a long time. For the people who are shouting, Hosanna, save us, on that first Palm Sunday, Jesus was about to do just that. It's not what they would expect, though. Jesus did it because it was our only hope. It's the only way that we'd be able to stand before God, not in our sin, but reconciled to him. Jesus knows this is just waiting down the road for him. And he says that his soul, the soul of the Son of God, is troubled by what lies ahead. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Jesus doesn't want to go through this, but he recognizes this is what the Father has called him to do. So he says, for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name, not me, but you. He knows his purpose. He knows his mission. He knows his task. And he would take the road to glory. Not for his own glory, but for a glory of someone else. For the glory of his Father. Knowing full well what it meant for him but also knowing full well what it means for you. It means for him his death. It means for you your life. It means for him his condemnation. It means for you your forgiveness and your freedom. And it doesn't seem fair. And it doesn't seem very glorious for Jesus, does it? And a voice booms from heaven saying these words, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Jesus is given the validation here that his life has been about glorifying his Father and that God has been well pleased in what Jesus has done up to this point so far. And God tells him again, I will glorify my name through you again through the events of the coming days. But Jesus says here, these words aren't for him. Jesus didn't need to hear these words. He already knew what his task was and he was already going forward with it. But he says that these words were said in verse 30, for your sakes, for your sakes, for the sake of those who heard him, who heard what the Father said, that he has already been glorified through Jesus, but would again be glorified in the coming events. As the events of this week unfold, keep that in the back of your mind, that Jesus would glorify his Father through all of the events that happen on Thursday, on Friday, and on Sunday as well. For everyone who had just been welcoming Jesus as the King of Israel, 
who had been crying out to Jesus to save them. This voice was given from heaven for them, that God has glorified his name and would again glorify his name with the death of his son, Jesus. Would they remember? Would they remember that when Jesus was betrayed? Would they remember that when, would they remember what God said when Jesus was going, facing trial before Pilate? Would they remember that when Pilate says, I'll release to you Barabbas or Jesus? Or would they forget? Would they remember it when they saw their bruised, bloody, and beaten king crowned with thorns on a cross? Or would they see the criminal suffering what he rightly deserves? Jesus tells them what's going to happen in verses 31 and 32. He says these words, Now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Jesus shares this, John says, in order to indicate what kind of death he was going to die. Not only crucifixion, we know that he is expecting crucifixion. And that's one way to look at this lifting up. But in verse 31, he says something else is going to happen in his death. The ruler of this world will be cast out. His death would be victorious. And going through with his death on the cross, he would in fact prove that he was the king of Israel. And he would also expand Israel to include all of those who receive him by faith. Because as Jesus suffered on the cross, he didn't just suffer for the offenses of just a few. He took care of all the offenses that this world had ever done and would ever do before God. He came to take care of the sin of the world, and he would be lifted up again. Lifted up first on the cross, lifted up again in his resurrection, and lifted up again 40 days later when he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from where he rules and reigns for all eternity. Through this death and through this suffering, Jesus was going to do something not just accomplish victory, not just cast down the ruler of this world, but he would draw all men to himself. That as he was lifted up, first on the cross and then the resurrection and ascension, he would in fact draw all men to himself. Not just the Jews, not just the Israelites, but the Gentiles. For these Greeks who are coming to see him here in verse 20. For males and females, God is coming and being lifted up for you, for saints and for sinners. And all people must face this truth, must face this fact that Christ on the cross died for your sin. That Jesus was crucified for you. And it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your past is. The fact is that your sin has been dealt with on the cross. And that act of Christ stands still today to draw all people to himself to the people who are struggling with sin in their lives, the cross stands to say, you are forgiven. To the people who still continue to live their lives in blissful ignorance of their sin, the cross stands that Jesus died for your sin too. Christ took care of the sins of the world on that cross. And we are saved not by our works or by our good deeds, but by the finished work of Christ on that cross. God is demonstrating his love to you and the fact that the cross has happened. 
and the fact that on that cross, while you are still a sinner, Christ died for you. The cross remains today a reminder for each one of us of the road to glory, the road to glory which Christ traveled for you. The road to glory leads to the cross. I don't think this is what the Greeks were expecting to hear when they wanted to meet with Jesus and pick his brain on a few different things. It's not what they were expecting to hear or wanting to hear. That Jesus is saying, ah, you only know half the story now. There's still more to come. My glory is coming, but first I must die. They knew of all the great things that he has done, the raising of Lazarus from the dead, the raising of others from the dead, the healing people from diseases, the turning water into wine, the feeding 5,000 and 4,000 with just a few breadcrumbs and some fish. And maybe that's a message for you this morning that's easy for us to swallow, that Jesus is God, that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God who did all these miraculous things, and there was glory in these things. And maybe it's easy for us to swallow that Jesus died on the cross for my sin, that it was my sin that put him there. And we can go home this afternoon content, knowing that our sins are paid for. And I encourage each one of us to do that, to trust in that sacrifice. But the message continues on. Jesus' death leads us to the road to glory as well. And this is where the rubber meets the road for each one of us. He calls us to follow him. In verse 26 of the text, he says these words, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, my father will honor him. And just as Jesus' road to glory led him to the cross, his call on our lives to follow him leads us to a cross as well. He calls us to die to ourselves, to die to our wants, to die to our desires, to our will, to our ways, to die to the way of life that seeks our own preservation. He calls us to pick up our cross and to follow him. In verse 25, he says, He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. This life that we've been given is temporary. This life that we've been given hasn't been given to us just so we can make a name for ourselves or just so we can put some more money in our bank account and retire at a young age or retire with a lot of money stored up for us. This life that's been given to us has been given to us in order that we too follow Christ, in order that we too follow Christ to the cross that he has called us to bear. And in order to follow Christ, in order to bear that cross, we too must die. But what does that look like? Our own dying. It's not suicide. It's not what Jesus is talking about here. But it's dying to our own priorities. It's dying to that desire inside of each one of us that wants to sin, that wants to turn your back against God. It's, desire, it's a desire to die to our own selfish ways, to die to our pride to die to putting our own selves before everybody else. We must put the needs of others before our own needs. To do as Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, to do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. And do not merely look out for, the own, for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. 
And what God calls us to do often troubles our own souls. God doesn't call us to a comfortable life. God calls us to leave our comfort zone. God calls us to pick up our cross and to follow him. God calls us to die. And frankly, when God calls us to do things that we don't want to do, may we cry out to the Father just as Jesus did. Father, glorify your name, because this life isn't about me. This life is about you and what you want to do in it. In those times, realize that Christ has called you for this purpose. May we say, along with Christ, not my will, but yours be done, O Lord. And that's a tall order for us to take, isn't it? I get that. I understand. It's a tall order for me as well. But that doesn't excuse us to this is the fact that Christ calls us to it. It doesn't excuse us to the fact that we must die, that we must follow him. If anyone serves him, he must follow him. It's a clear call in Scripture. Jesus calls us to follow him on the path to glory. And that path does result in glory, but first it leads to death. First it leads us to the cross. He calls us to pick up our cross and to follow him. But at the end of the day, this path leads to glory. It doesn't lead to glory because we do such a great job of traveling it. God knows that we trip and stumble day in and day out as we travel this path. This path doesn't lead to glory because we're strong enough and by stumbling through enough, we'll make it to the end. This path leads to glory because Jesus first traveled it. It leads to glory because Jesus' death took care of all of our offenses for all of our shortcomings, for the times when we decide to live for ourselves and not for him. It leads to glory because this path has already led to our death. It leads to glory because you have already been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. In this life that we live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself up for you. It leads to glory because of the promise of God. From Romans chapter 6, when Paul writes these words, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death, and therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, Though the glory of the, through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Jesus' road to glory led to his death, but in his death we see our death as well. And in our baptism, our death is tied to Christ's death. And Christ's resurrection is tied to our resurrection. A reality that we live in that we don't see the full benefits of it yet. But based on the promise of God's word and based on the fact that Jesus rose again, we hold fast to its truth and to its promise. Jesus didn't stay dead. And today he is still drawing more people to himself as he has been lifted up. And he's calling more people to follow him. He's calling more people to be united to him. He's calling more people to travel this road to glory. Yes, it does lead to death, but it doesn't end there. It ends with new life. And eternal life. And it ends with the Father honoring you. The road to glory has been paved by Christ. 
And just as Christ has been raised from the dead, so we too look forward to that day when he raises us from the dead. So follow him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, for its truth. Jesus, we thank you that your glory didn't just end with your earthly ministry here, but your glory continues to go forth. That you glorified the Father through your death, through your resurrection, through paying the penalty for my sins on the cross. We thank you and we praise you for that. And God, you are still bringing more fruit in through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. May we be faithful in following you all the days of our lives. And Lord, teach us to die to ourselves and to live to you. Teach us, Father, to pick up our cross and follow you. And lead us on this path to glory. Lead us, Lord, on this path to the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.